Romans, the third chapter. I believe this will finish the third chapter for us. I think I've said that before, but there was another, another, as I read through, there's another thing, especially because today's communion Sunday that stuck out to me and spoke to me. And, and I think it will be good for us to consider it today. So in Romans three, let's go ahead and begin back in verse 19 and we'll read through the rest of the chapter, verse 31. I will kind of pause during our reading this morning just to kind of review as we're coming down through here uh, so that as we get to the end of the chapter will be where we're going to be for today. So Romans 3, verses 19 through 31. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, now let's pause there. For just a moment, let, let's keep in mind that, that since Romans 1.18 until now, the Apostle Paul has been laying that foundation, that groundwork to present the truth that all have sinned, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, both Jew and Gentile, and that apart from receiving by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile are sinful and are under the wrath and the condemnation of God. There is no partiality. No partiality with God. That every mouth stopped. No excuses. All the world guilty before God. No exceptions. Every unbelieving person, whether Jew or Gentile, is under the law, and all the world is guilty before Him. There is no salvation. There is no justification provided by the law. And then the question we need to be asked, because that's bad news right there, isn't it? Well, where's the hope? Where's the good news? How can we stand justified before God? And that's where we keep reading, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. How was this righteousness revealed? How was this righteousness made manifest on the earth? Through Jesus Christ. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So, let me pause again. How are we justified? Through faith and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and let me pause there again. And there, there's the bad news again. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But then, good news. Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, 
to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Let me pause there. The whole world, everybody on this face of this planet should be thankful that God has passed over sins that were previously committed. You understand that? Because if we were all judged at the moment of our sin, we would all be dead right now. You understand that, right? It's it's only by His long suffering, it's only by His patience that we still live and breathe. But know this, this long suffering and patience one day will come to a close at judgment. And understand this, Every sin that has ever been committed will be brought before the justice and judgment of God. Every sin will be paid for. Now now listen, it will either be the sinner will pay for it in eternal torment in hell, and I say it will be eternal because of themselves, they could never pay in full that debt. And they will suffer and pay and pay and pay and pay in torment. So it'll either be paid that way, or it'll be paid by grace through faith in truly believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those who are born again, our debt is marked paid in full by the blood of the Lamb, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Let's go back. We'll pick back up there in verse 25 whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why? Why would He do such a thing? Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Let me pause there for a moment. Don't get confused by that by faith and through faith. It's it's saying the same thing. It's saying the same thing. From all I've read, different commentators... It's, it's saying the same thing that we're, every person on the face of this planet, you're saved by one way and one way only. There is only one way. Kevin talked about it. One way. And that's Jesus Christ. One way. So don't get confused by the by faith and the through faith. Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Well, let's pray. The old Puritan prayer comes to my mind. Dear Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now uh, today, the, the verse that was sticking out to me, uh, verse 27. Romans 3, verse 27. The boasting. 
that the Apostle Paul is talking about, where is the boasting then? It's, it's excluded. Now, as you read the epistles, as you read the, the writings of Paul, boasting is found quite often. Or, or the thoughts about boasting. And perhaps the reason it is is because this is one of the things that Paul knew much about because of his past life before Christ. Because in the flesh, Paul had much that he could boast in, didn't he? Let's read that list if it's been a while since you've looked at it. It's in Philippians 3, verses 3 through 9. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. And then Paul gives his credentials or his pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. See, this is all that, this is, this is who Paul was. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And then here's the change. Here's the change wrought by the Spirit of God all these things that he once held dear, all these things that he based his life upon, what's he say in verse 7? But what things were gained to me, all these things, these I have counted loss for Christ. For indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, what a transformation. But that's what happens, isn't it? That's what happens when the Spirit of God comes. You're never the same. You can't. Be the same. Changed. All the things that Paul once boasted in, he now counts as rubbish. Not having my own righteousness. See, see, that's that was the Pharisees, wasn't it? That was the Pharisees. See, see, Paul knew who this letter was going to be re uh, read by. He knew his audience. Many of the the Jews in Rome. And I believe Paul knew that the central trouble with the Jews had once been his own trouble. He knew who he was talking to because he was once one of them. And he introduced this thought of, of this pride and self-reliance and self-righteousness that they had back in chapter 2, verse 17 up in Romans 2, verse 17. Indeed, you call... You are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in the Lord. That's where he started out. And we preached maybe a couple sermons along these lines. And then he goes on to say, you boast in the law, but yet you steal. 
You boast in the law, and you boast in God, but yet you commit adultery. The, the Jews boasted. Remember that where we talked about? They boasted, and but we have been given the oracles of God. We have Abraham as our father. We we have been given the mark of the of the covenant in circumcision. But all of this meant absolutely nothing. Because it was all just outward expressions, externals. There was no spirit within. And verse, drop down, uh, chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And the answer would have been yes. They were lawbreakers. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. As it is written. The Jews boasted in their race. They boasted in their nationality. We are God's chosen people. They, they boasted in the law and their circumcision. And they, they seemed to wear these things as a garment of pride and arrogance. Calling all others the dogs and the dredges of society. All others were beneath them. And Jesus gives the perfect picture of this, doesn't He? You know where we're getting ready to go. Where Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let's read it from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, 9-14. through 14. Also He, and this is Jesus talking, also He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So that, that's this is who Paul is writing this and addressing in, in much of, of Romans, isn't it? Those who were counting on their self righteousness, those who despised others and looked down on others. Verse ten. <clears throat> Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off. See, he, he didn't even feel worthy to come forward, to be close. He's standing afar off. Would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Pride is a terrible sin, is it not? Pride. Uh, a lyric to an old Roger Miller song comes to mind. Pride is the chief cause in the decline 
in the number of husbands and wives. Why does divorce happen? Because one or the other is not getting what they want, when they want, the way they want it. Pride. I know what I want. You're not giving it to me. And such it is in much of life, isn't it? Pride. Pride. It's a terrible, terrible sin. And let's read a couple of verses. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's pretty hard-hitting, is it not? Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. You drop down to verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We, I believe we read this this morning before we sang the the old hymn, Revive Us Again, in Psalms 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, for, says, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and low, holy place with Him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You see, in the, in the service of the Lord, there is no place for pride and arrogance, is there? Let me read a quote from Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones. This, this is what he said. I thought this was good in, in regard to pride. Quote, it was a central trouble with the Jews, and it is still the central trouble with unregenerate men. It is. That is why the apostle has to take it up. He makes this bold statement and says, in effect, now I have just been describing God's way of salvation I have been holding you face to face with the cross and the death of the Son of God. Have you understood it? Or are you still boasting? Are you still holding on to something? Is there any vestige of self-righteousness left? Is there anything you are clinging to? Can you cling on to it in the light of the glorious message of the gospel? I've shown you quite clearly that the law condemns us and removes any possibility of boasting. There is no difference. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The whole world lieth guilty before God. The true way of salvation removes all boasting. There is no room for it in this way of salvation. It has been swept out of the house, and the door slammed behind it. End quote. No room for boasting. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. You know this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, 
lest anyone should, what? Say it with me. Boast. There's no room for boasting. It's a gift of God. Our, our faith. We didn't conjure it up by ourselves. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God. We can't boast in that. That's God's work. Oh, we give thanks. We give praise. We glorify God. We are not saved. I've said this a multitude of times through the years. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. Verse 10. This is the verse following these two. For we, born-again believers... We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has good works out there for me to walk in. He has good works for you if you're born again. There's good works out there for you to walk in. Oh, but but I can't I can't do it. He has got them tailor-made for you. Can I say that? He knows you. And I'll also tell you this. He won't always call us into the area where we may think we have some strengths. But He may very well call you to a work in which you are have no confidence whatsoever. Did you know that? So that we might trust Him. So that we might follow Him. So it's not by works. We read often from Titus 3rd chapter verses 5 through 7 that talks about this very thing. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior that having been justified by His grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. Well, what's the Word of God say? All our righteousness, righteousnesses are nothing but filthy rags. And Paul came to understand that. All of those things that he held onto and could boast in the flesh meant nothing meant nothing. It's not the things we have done, but it's all about what Christ has done on our behalf. We have nothing of ourselves in which we can boast in. We sang some old hymns this morning about the cross. And I read this earlier in Galatians 6, verse 14. You want to read it with me? Just look up the screen. Read it with me. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See that Greek word that's translated as boast here? In the King James, I believe it's translated as glory. Um, and, and this word means to exult, to glory, to rejoice, to boast in, to joy over and the Apostle Paul is saying that his rejoicing is to be in the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, why? Why, Paul? 
Because the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is the source of every believer's righteousness and acceptance before God. Where would we, where would we be without the cross? And you could take every aspect of Jesus Christ's life and ask that question. Where would we be without the incarnation had He not come? Where would we be without the life He lived and, and all of the things that He taught us while He was here? Where would we be without all that? Where would we be without the cross? Where would we be without His death, burial? And where would we be without the resurrection? If Christ is not risen, then we are most pitiable of all men. So we can ask ourselves in each step of Jesus' life, where would we be without any of this? But I keep coming back to the cross. Because it's on the cross that our great high priest went through the veil and offered his own blood upon the mercy seat to purchase my, to purchase your, if you're born again, redemption. For redeemed sinners, born again believers, every good, every precious promise was obtained for us by the cross of Jesus Christ. Because apart from the death of Jesus Christ, the shed blood to pay for our penalty for sin, sinners get nothing but judgment. Apart from the cross of Christ, there's only condemnation. Therefore, everything we enjoy, everything we boast in, everything we rejoice in, is owing to the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Because we were all once sinners. And I, you can say, well, I, anyone say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, that's true. But now as a sinner saved by grace, I am a saint. You understand that too, don't you? I've been changed. I've been changed. But we were all, by nature, children of wrath apart from God, far from the covenant of promise, but we have brought, brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me read it in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in that flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. Colossians 2, verses 13 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Child of God, that's what He's done for us. <laughs> I, I thank 
old hymns and, and songs come to mind, and, and you, you know which one, when I read that, I think you probably know which one comes to mind. Uh, it is well, verse 3. It is well, verse 3. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well. With my soul. You see, as, as a born-again child of God, we can say that. Praise His holy name. It is well with my soul because He has taken my sin and has washed it white as snow, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. See, Paul knew the great importance of the work of the cross. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, but I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If the only message I would ever preach over and over and over again for the rest of my days would be nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's about the Gospel. Kevin preached about it the last two sermons. It's all about the Gospel. It's about the cross. It's about the blood. It's about the power of, rec of, of the resurrection, knowing that because He lives, we too shall rise and we shall live. The basis of Paul's message over and over and over again was the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21-24 through 24. For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, it still is today. And to the Greeks, foolishness, still is today. But to those who are called, who the Spirit of God calls, it says, come. It says, come to me. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, remember, no partiality with God both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God, 
and the wisdom of God. For those who believe the message of the cross is is no longer foolishness, but it becomes for them the power of God and the wisdom of God unto salvation. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. (laughs) Who does the Lord save? We just read it. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I could ask the question again this morning that I've asked a thousand times. Do you believe? And we could ask that to a multitude of people, and there would be a lot of people, yeah, 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 I believe, I believe. Well, I'll ask this, but is your belief any better than the demons who tremble and believe? Because they know their end. They know Christ is Lord. They know all those things. But there's no salvation for them. Is your belief better than that? Is your belief unto salvation? Is your your belief based on grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the repentance of sin and turning from your sin? Are you saying, yes, I believe, but you're living your life just like you did before. There's been no change. There's no evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. There's no evidence that you're following after the commands and the Word of God. He saves those who believe. John 3, verses 14 through 19. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Talking about the cross. Talking about being lifted up on the cross. Why was He lifted up on the cross? To shed His blood so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And that is so much of the world today, is it not? The message of the cross is foolishness. They they don't want to hear about it. They are happy. They are content in their sin and their rebellion against God. It is all foolishness. Oh, but what do we do? What do we do? Jim asked, what do we do? What do we do? Well, in love, we we speak the, the, the truth. As best we can, we speak the truth to them in love. We have compassion for them because without saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we know what their end will be, do we not? We know where they will spend eternity. Shouldn't we have compassion on those who are lost and going to hell? Yes. And so we bear witness of Christ. We speak the truth in love. And speaking the truth will hurt and offend. It will. So speak it as lovingly as you can. Perhaps by saying, and and this was me once, 
Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you the story of this guy called the Apostle Paul, of where he was at and what he once was, but what the Lord did for him. We talked about that, or Jim did this morning, about that sermon John MacArthur preached a couple of weeks ago now. And he went into 1 Corinthians, I believe it was, and such were some of you. But now you have been washed. You have been made clean by the blood of the Lamb. Tell them about Christ. Tell them about sin. Tell them what the Word of God says about sin and sinners. But then be sure to give them the good news. That there's a rescue. That there's a hope. Romans 10 verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Kevin talked about resurrection last Sunday. Do you know you can't be saved without believing in the resurrection? You can't. It says so right there, doesn't it? You have to believe in the resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, it would be just like those those passages that Paul talked about. Without Christ being raised, we would be of men most pitiable. That's where there's hope. That's where there's hope. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you tell them about the love of Christ. You tell them the gospel. You tell them about sin and, and, and the wrath of God that's one day coming upon sin. But then tell them of the rescue. Tell them of the rescue. Let them know that you're not ashamed to speak truth. The Apostle Paul, Romans, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So for those who believe the message of the cross, it becomes for them the power of God and the salvation. For the unbeliever, We read it there in John 3. They are condemned already. If you go a little bit further there in John, the third chapter, uh, verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. So that's why we should have compassion for the lost because we know what's abiding upon them apart from a saving knowledge, a miracle of salvation wrought by God. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. For God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So for the unbeliever, if 
they die in that condition, the wrath of God. For the believer, we shall be saved from wrath. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to read one more thing, and, and, and I've read this several times throughout the years, but but to me it's so good. And it's just some excerpts, kind of a paraphrase from, again, I'm going to quote Lord Jones, and it's from the book. I know some of you have this book, The Cross. Just let me read, quote, Why? Why glory in the cross? Because it is by this that the world is crucified to me and I to the world. It is the means of my salvation. It is the very way in which I am saved. Our Lord dying on that cross is the very thing that saves us. If He had not died upon the cross, nobody would ever have been saved. There would be no gospel to preach. It is the saving event. It is the act whereby our salvation is accomplished. That is why the Apostle Paul glories in it. That is why Isaac Watt says, when I survey the wondrous cross, it is the thing that saves us without which we would not be saved at all. Why is the cross the saving event? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus Christ came to this earth to become the perfect, unblemished, by sin, sacrificial lamb. John the Baptist had only one sermon and he kept on repeating it and it was this, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. All the sacrificed lambs in the Old Testament were but types and shadows of the perfect Lamb that was yet to come. God provided for Himself this perfect Lamb in His own Son. This is what happened on Calvary's tree. God took your sins and mine and He put them on the head of His own Son. And then He smote Him. He punished Him. He struck Him. He killed Him. The wages of sin, the cost of sin, the penalty for sin is death. So what was happening on the cross was that God Himself was laying your sins and mine upon His own dearly beloved Son and He paid the penalty for our guilt and our transgressions. End quote. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For He... That's God. Made Him, Jesus Christ, His Son. For He knew Him who knew no sin to be, what? Say it. Sin for, put yourself in the verse, me. Why? That I might become the righteousness of God in Him. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. May we always remember, we sang that song, I won't forget. Never forget what He has done. Never forget of how He overcame our darkness with His great light. Never forget Him. And Jesus Christ Himself has left us a means by which we can remember. And here at Arcadia Valley Community Church on the second Sunday of every month, 
we do this very thing in the receiving of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23-26 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This is, cup is the new covenant in My blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. If you can get a picture of Christ in the upper room with His disciples, and they're there to partake of the Passover meal, Jesus knows what is coming. He knows the cross is near. And yet, He takes the time. He's continually trying to teach His disciples. And He takes two of the elements off of the table that is before Him. He takes the cup and He takes the bread. First the bread. And, and perhaps, perhaps, maybe as Jesus was saying what He said there at that table, they were reflecting back of some of the teaching that Jesus had been giving to them. Maybe they could remember it. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe it was later, after resurrection, that all these things started coming back to them. But what did Jesus talk, taught them along the way? In John 6, verse 35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. If you go down a little bit further, verses 50 and 51, This is the bread which comes down from heaven that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He talked of the cup in Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. See, Jesus willingly gave Himself for us. He died for us. And He said to take the bread and the cup and remember Him. Remember what He's done on our behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give You thanks or your word. And just thanks for the reminder that there is no place for pride and boasting of self, of exalting ourself. There, there's no place for it. But we are to come before you broken, contrite, humble before you. And you will lift us up in due time. So thank You, Father, for the gift of Your only begotten Son. Thank You for the sacrifice that He made upon the cross. Thank You for the blood that covers sin. Thank You for redeeming love. And Father, I would just ask, should there be one that would be listening to this who is still lost, who is still far from You, who is still that sinner in need of saving grace,
Father, I pray that by the miracle of mercy, You would open their ears to the truths that they have heard about You and about sin and about the cross and about the good news of the Gospel. Lord, convict them of their sin. Lord, by grace, grant them faith that they might believe the Gospel and all its truths. Lord, shine light into a dark place. Pour Your Spirit into them. Grant them faith that they might believe. That they might confess their sin. That they might receive Christ as Lord. And that they might turn from their sin. And turn to You and follow You to follow Christ. And Lord, for us who are born again, Help us to never forget of what Christ has done. Help us to remember and not not boast in anything of ourselves, but only in Christ, only in the cross, only in the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. So Father, at a time such as this, as we come before this table, Lord, You know each heart. Speak to us all, Lord. Let let us have a, a vision or a scene that You would place in each mind as they would come. That would encourage them. That would remind them of Your great love. That would remind them of who they once were, but now of who they are through the blood of Christ. So may we give thanks. Father, help us, I pray. Pray that You would bless the bread and the juice that is before us. Lord, that we may just eat of it and remember. Help us to remember. We give You thanks. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.